0: Uh, we're going to be in 5th fifth, fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 5. As Paul is running over the real rough spots that this church had in Corinth. Well, These people were raised up in gross heathenism. And they'd been saved out of it. But they hadn't lost all of their former practices. (coughs) So they needed a lot of help, as we all do. (coughs) So he's talking to them about their problems. So they've got a problem with this fellow in the church. Uh, It's fornication that uh, is not so much as named among the heathen. Gentiles, that's the same word as heathen, ethnos, that's heathen. Uh, This thing is so bad that not even the heathen do it. And here it is named In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that I'll let you know what can happen. Well, all right, so then he gives them explicit instructions about how to handle it, what they should have done, and what they must do, and they didn't do, and what they must do, and how to handle that. He says in verse 6: Your glorying is not good. They're glorying. They were glorying in, their, in themselves. Just, well, how, how tolerant we are. Uh, Wesley Shepherd called me the other day and upset. He worked school board one of the big schools in Fayette County. And some of the maintenance men came. He's in the janitorial. They came in in the boys' bathroom. Put a big box there with the ladies' tampons. So they have uh, males that come in there and need those. And then call today, he called me today and said, there's a school teacher. Uh, it's it's a male species, but had on a dress and red high heels. And that's what's teaching our kids in these in these schools. I mean, that's, uh, it, it's its an all out assault on our. On, yes. Well, these people were heathen, but they weren't as heathen as we've got. And I guarantee you a bunch of them sit right in a church every Sunday. Anyway, but he said, Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You can go through all the technicalities of uh, of uh, leavening agents and all of that Paul gave us the truth right here chemically true absolutely true a little leaven leavens the whole lump the whole scripture bears that out Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower that woman put that leaven in that lump she didn't have to do a thing to it it worked its way through and through and that is what leavening does when he makes a, makes a metaphor here that this leaven is sin Amen. and that sin works its way through and through there's not a, an exception in the bible leaven always indicates sin or false doctrine Amen. there's not an exception and there are those that try to make an exception, and make that leaven be the gospel. But then, then they they absolutely become hard shelled then, because they den- they deny the necessity of preaching the gospel. Because if that leaven is gospel, it, 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 it spreads itself. We don't have to. Anyway, no, there is not an exception. Anybody like to challenge me on that? There is not an exception in the whole Bible that the uh, that leaven is symbolic of sin and or false doctrine. And we ought to know that a little leaven, leavens whole up. So if you leave it alone, it doesn't stay alone. It moves, it moves, it goes, and it completely permeates everything where it is. So he says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Well, how do you purge something? Fire. Fire is judgment, isn't it? Okay, Uh, That you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And as our Passover. He. Is the lamb. Without spot. Without blemish. So it it all fits perfectly there. Uh, Incidentally. That ought to tell us. That with the feast of the Passover, we don't celebrate anymore. He is our Passover. And all those feasts, we don't do all that. Therefore, let us keep the feast. There he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now that's all symbolic but it's literally symbolic of what we're to do. Now he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle. I don't know when that other one was. Nobody else does. They speculate on it. You might know that many of the commentators, instead of talking about the real issue, uh, they go into a, to a spiel over, over what they think the other letter was. Something that couldn't possibly profit you much. Anyway, I wrote unto you in, a, in an epistle, a letter not to... Company with fornicators. Now that word "company" is used in verse nine. It's also used again in verse eleven, and it's used again in Second Thessalonians three fourteen. Now, hopefully, I can get this right. The word "company." Now, in the in the Greek, it is sunanamignumi. I want y'all to to know that this time next week. I'm just kidding. There's the the word. It's, it's a compound word. Sunanamignumi. It's keeping company with almost prostitutes. Three times it's used in the New Testament, and it always Look over there at uh, at Second uh, Thessalonians three fourteen. He said, "If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company." There is the word with him that he may be ashamed. So every time that word is used, it has to do with a, an outward center fellowshipping in a church. And so, now I don't know whether that helps you or not, but that's the way it is. Anyway, verse 10 says of 1 Corinthians 5, Yet not all together with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must your needs go out of the world. He's not saying that we have to have to become withdrawn from this world. Uh, we got things we have to do. We're not to be monks. Uh, looking at some article talking about uh, the, when Christian monks started. I know when they started, about... The third century uh, guy, they called him Saint Anthony, but he he wasn't no saint when he started that. Anyway, he's he's the first one that started that, and he was a he was a flop at, at that. <coughs> but he wasn't a Catholic because it wasn't a Catholic church then. But anyway, uh, we're not to do that. We're not to withdraw from this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've got to live. And we've got to preach the gospel to every creature. we can't isolate ourselves. We're separate but not isolationist. all right, yet not all together with this fornicator with the fornicators of this world. All right. only all way we're going to get rid of all that is to get out of this world and uh, brother gets upset and all that, and I'm understanding it. We're going to have to tolerate some stuff. If you do anything in this world at all, you're mixing with company that you don't want to have to. But you you better you better keep a close watch on the Lord. Anyway, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. There's the same word again, just three times. If any man that is called a brother, that eliminates all those outside of the church. He said, If any man is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. That's the Lord's Supper. Uh, and notice he said fornicator a couple of times, or said it several times. But he, never, he never said adultery. Does that mean adultery is all right? Or does that mean maybe fornicator includes adulterers? Yes. It includes it all. And so... For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? That is, without the church. We can't judge them. That's not what our business is. But he said, Do not ye judge them that are within, that is, within the body, the, the church assembly. <coughs> but them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from you among yourselves <coughs> that wicked person. Now while I'm here, I'm just gonna go ahead and do this. Many of you've read it. I got a, a church a track that I wrote and printed on church discipline. I don't know if I got enough of them to pass out now or not. Uh, i got a few here. I think there's some more back in there. You want to? Everybody wants one. I don't know how long ago I wrote this, but it's a long time ago. Uh, but it really is, is uh, for a brief article, it says everything that really needs to be said about church discipline. So I'm, I'm going to run over this. <coughs> I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to run over it a little bit. It's uh, no, no big deal. And I'm not going to win the Book of the Month Club with this. You know, (laughs) there are not many people interested in this at all. But I I felt like it all needed to be put down like this. So anyway, it starts out on, on discipline and what discipline means. We talk about church discipline. Well, we've got a world today that has no love for discipline of any kind. Uh, then I talk about how that without it, with it, you can build a life. Without it, you can't. Uh, it's vital in every facet of life. Uh, individuals without it soon destroy themselves or at best accomplish very little. Groups and nations deteriorate. Uh, I, I cite Gibbon's default, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, not that I'm an expert on him. But that's a classic set of books there on the fall of Rome. And he said in the last days of Rome, the Roman armies were affected so by the uh, laxity of the day that they, re- they refused to wear their armor. Can you imagine a soldier being refusing to wear his armor? Think like he'd get in trouble real quick, wouldn't he? Uh, this, uh, they abandoned their own and public defense. Their cowardly indolence may be considered as the immediate cause of the downfall of the empire. And that's what Gibbon said about in his book, "The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire." Uh, that's that's how they fell. Well, I don't know. I haven't been in the military now, but I thought, from what I can gather, uh, they've got about the same situation going on there because they got so many mothers that don't want their little boys to be pushed. Uh and they're and they're, uh, they're they're more concerned about about LGBT stuff in the military than they are than they are uh, training them to fight. Uh, we got troubles. We got real troubles. I don't know where all these idiots came from. Came out of the, uh, I don't know where they came from. Anyway, so uh, discipline is necessary. Anybody that knows anything about anything knows that discipline. Is necessary. So then, I start out going to consider church as it relates to the church. We got a four point outline. We're going to see first the purpose of discipline. Uh, secondly, the form. Third, the authority, and four, the historicity of the practice of discipline. So on the purpose, uh, many people object to, strongly object to the practice of church discipline. You ain't going to exclude my mother. You ain't gonna exclude my son. Well, when people have that attitude in the Lord's church, they they love their family more than they do the Lord, and what they're really not loving their family, they're loving their their pride. Anyway, uh, God's word number one commands the practice of church discipline. Well, look at verse 4 of our chapter here. Uh, Paul said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Here the apostle Paul, he's given a command to the church at Corinth to withdraw fellowship, exclude this fellow, from the congregation, uh, well, we already read chapter three of uh, Second Thessalonians, but it's there too. So God's word commands the practice of it. And with many more scriptures here, we'll give them in the uh, process of this. And secondly, I said Christ commends it. You look at Revelation two and the churches of Asia Minor. The church at Ephesus, Jesus Christ commanded them. Look over the Revelation chapter two. Revelation two. He said verse, uh, chapter two, verse two. This is Christ talking to, and he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. That's exactly what the church of Corinth was doing, bearing those that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And so the Lord is commending that church uh, for practicing church discipline. Well, So he commands it. Uh, He also rebuked the churches of Pergamos and Thyatira for not practicing it. Now thirdly, the effect demands it. Paul says uh, in verse uh, 6 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, uh, Your glory is not good. We've already talked about that. But the effect demands it because we ought to know that sin influences for the bad, not for the good and the unjudged. Unrestrained sin will spread just like leaven, a constant type of sin in Scripture. And I'm telling you, I know that for many, many years we've had even so-called Baptist pastors that preached against the practice of church discipline. My pastor, I was under. I heard him say in the pulpit, he said, Well, it's not our job to kick them out, it's our job to get them in. Well, that is somebody's trying to build a work anyway and going against the word. Well, (coughs) anyway, number four, the symbolism of the Lord's Supper demands it. Then that's verse eight. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven to permit open sin. The congregation is to pervert the picture and brings dishonor upon Christ. A church that will not discipline its members should not observe the Lord's Supper. So for the glory of God, this one should be practiced and for the good of the church. Now, a church that will not practice church discipline has no business taking the Lord's Supper. Now, we do need to take the Lord's Supper, but we need to be taking it rightly and not not, uh, uh, perverting it like that. Uh, but, But churches don't practice discipline. They got no business taking the Lord's Supper. All they're doing is serving poison. Uh, Number five. Well, four is the symbolism of the Lord's Supper demands it. That is that is a, a church that is without spot. We're symbolizing the Lord's body. And taking the Lord's Supper with open sin, known sin in the congregation. We're presenting... A perverted symbol of Jesus Christ. So this one should be practiced for the good of the church. And then five, five, love for the offender demands it. Well, you're not doing anybody any good when you're aiding and abetting them in in being rebellious against the Lord. Not at all. It's the same thing. (coughs) Somebody that's hooked on alcohol and they keep going to their mother or somebody. And they keep giving them money to buy, to buy alcohol. All they're doing is aiding and abetting that, that awful practice, that awful habit. Same thing with drugs. Uh, you don't show love for anybody by, by uh, supporting them in their sin. So the accusations leveled against those that discipline their members that they don't. Well, we love our members. We don't kick them out. Well, you're a cotton-picking liar, if that's what you say. You do not love them. You love yourself because you don't want to dirty your hands by fooling with them. That's the truth. The Bible teaches the opposite is true. You must love someone to take that much interest in them and also to jeopardize your own standing with them. When you have to rebuke someone for something they're doing wrong, you're jeopardizing your standing, but you show more love. Proverbs is full of that. Open, uh, uh, open rebuke is better than secret love. Uh, so, Paul describes individual members as parts of the body. There's a real closest suggestion, verse 1 to 6. We could hardly ignore a sick member, something must be done which leads to the next point. Now the form of church discipline. <coughs> <coughs> certainly the beginnings. The beginning is self-discipline. <coughs> and the Bible certainly teaches that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It takes self-discipline to do that. Oh. Uh, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Romans 6. It takes self-discipline to do that. Uh, more of this was practiced by all of us, far less more of the uh, less of the more extreme type of discipline be necessary. And this pretty well describes the Christian life. Self-discipline through the power and influence of the Holy Spirit taught by the Word. First, there is instructive discipline. All right? that this one is that teaching the whole counsel of the word of God a lot of people don't know well I can remember uh, when I first started getting back into the church I didn't go to Wednesday night services because I I didn't think it was for me I didn't I, I didn't know that how dumb were you well pretty dumb uh but it just never dawned on me that I should be going. And when I found out that I should be going, I started going. And I, I never did quit going. <coughs> anyway, <coughs> a lot of things people just don't know. None of us knew anything about abortion. back. I'm talking about back in the late 60s and 70s. Middle 60s and late 60s. None of us knew anything about abortion. We'd never heard anything taught about it. Never heard a preacher preach about abortion. Or something did in back alleys and all that. But you just never heard anything about it. But once we were taught, we heard what it was. It didn't take long. We were absolutely convicted of what God says. And knew what he said about it. So, instructive discipline. we got to be taught. That's why he said, go into all the world Teaching. And then baptizing them and then teaching them to uh, continue in all things whatsoever he's commanded us. So it's a teaching ministry we have. All right, so if more pastors would tend their business of feeding, instructing, teaching, rebuking, warning, and reproving their congregations, God would bless the churches much more. It is a pastor's duty to fill the pulpit and not the pews and not with a watered-down pseudo-evangelistic message. Pseudo is false uh, three times a week, but with faithful systematic expositions of the Word of God, all the counsel of God. Also, the faithful church members are to assist in the instruction of the truth by their words and deeds. So the, those who have been around longer, those that have learned, those that have grown, have matured more, need to aid in teaching all the new new members number two restorative discipline because of the sin nature and all of this is necessary in all congregations. so there's no congregation of god's people anywhere that doesn't need some of this so galatians 6 1 you which are spiritual restore such one when a brother's overtaken in a fault Uh, spiritual ones, go and restore them, but considering yourself lest you also be tempted. It's not the point, well, you're bad and I'm good, no. Notice we're all in the same boat. Uh, Notice this is not exclusively pastoral work. Often God will use this and the one overtaken will be one, but if this is not the case, there's a further, more drastic step. And the next step after that, you've gone to the brother or the sister and hadn't gotten any results of it next thing then you go to excessive discipline this is where the offender is declared to be disfellowshipped from the congregation before the congregation by the congregation and this reason one pastor was going to print and sell this or give it away whatever I didn't care what he did with it but this is the reason he didn't do it right here says pastors deacons boards and committees etc do not have any authority to exclude members To practice such things in a Baptist church is nothing less than embryonic papalism. That means a a baby embryo Catholic church in a Baptist church. And yes, and the very one that was going to do this, they never brought items of discipline up before the congregation. The deacons took care of it in closed-door meeting. Well, it was heresy. Paul says, Right here, when ye are gathered together, talking to the church, it's not, it's not pastor. And this is not kicking them out, nor is it mean and cruel, nor is it unconcerned. To the contrary, it is an extreme act of discipline that should and does show love to God and the disciplined one. Some have a wrong attitude, certainly, but does not that doesn't justify uh, uh, not doing it. Those who make such charges show a complete lack of understanding of the scriptures and seem to despise the church of God. That is, don't think much of the church of God. Now, then the kinds of offenses, three basic classes, private. An example of this is Matthew 18. If a brother has offended another brother in the congregation, well, it gives us the exact way of handling that. First, you should handle it by yourselves. If, if a brother offends me, I assume that he offend me. I ought not to tell any other human being about that. He ought not to either. But he doesn't even know it yet. Now, I've got to go to him and tell him that, Brother, you offended me when you did this. More than likely, he didn't even know it. And he'll apologize right then. But if he doesn't, then there's another step to do. And the Bible says you you take two or three others and try to get it settled with them. And they don't need to be talking about it to anybody else. Because all that's doing is spreading it. But if they do like they're supposed to do. Go to the two or three others. And get it settled. Nobody ever has to know about anything of it. But then. If that doesn't work. Then you tell it to the church. Now if if the. One that says. I, he offended me. Now if he. Re- rebels at that and won't listen to the church if the church judges that I was right that he offended me. If he won't listen to the church, now you've got another problem it won't take. It, that's not going to settle it. And so what has to happen then is that that one, if, if the church judges that he was wrong and I was right, the church appoints him to repent, ask for forgiveness, and settle it. If he won't do it, then there's another step. Then the Bible says the church is to let him be as a heathen man and a publican. That's just if I was right. If I was wrong, then he'd tell me the same thing. But how is a heathen man and a publican? Not members of the church. That's how. And so pastors should not uh, let these situations exist for long periods, as many as do. I preached in churches that there's those that sat on that side and those that sat on that side and it had been years since they'd ever sit in the middle with each other because somebody offended somebody, kind of like a Hatfield-McCoy thing. And a pat- no pastor ever had the guts to straighten it out. and The church is just, just split, just divided. Couldn't do anything. Well... Uh, so these things are very destructive to the church. Uh, let's see, i got the moral offenses. These are signs of, or sins of gross misconduct that are committed outwardly and seen by others, like we had in 1 Corinthians 5 here. This day and age has seen a flood of these problems and ain't nearly as bad as then as it is now. Uh, I mean, I mean now, it's kind of unusual for somebody to actually be married and live together. I mean, it's, it's common that they're not. There's more babies born without a legal father and you know what the Bible calls them. The B word, bastards. I didn't write that. But I've never seen, I, I could never believe that we've gotten to where we are. Anyway. Uh, general falling away by society consequently church members especially the weak are adversely affected the list of sins are as follows fornication includes all manner of sexual filthiness adultery, homosexuality, etc. now we didn't have the LGBT thing when I wrote this didn't know anything about all the uh, so-called transgender garbage and, and transvestite Uh, Men dressing like women. Covetousness. Uh, What is covetousness? It's idolatry. Drunkenness. Uh, No doubt drug abuse should be included here because of the mind-changing similarities. And absolutely. Uh, Extortion. Bad checks and debts probably should be considered here. I would like to admonish all pastors that we have no right to conceal and cover up these offenses. I agree that it's very distasteful to have to deal with these things, but that's what God called you to do as pastor, to lead the flock in the practice of the truth, 1 Corinthians 5, 11. And doctrinal 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Romans, Baptist churches need to beware of the leaven of false doctrine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications Corrupt good manners, and that's what he's talking about. And it's influence on all of us. I personally believe that in Revelation 2, the church of Thyatira has the embryo or beginnings of the great horse seen in Revelation 17 and 18. Of course, it's obvious that this is the Roman Catholic Church and all of her illegitimate daughters. It's true that great oaks come from small acorns. Discipline is a far more serious matter than most have the courage to face. Generally, all offenses fall into one of these three categories. Many ridicule the discipline of members for just non-attendance. I personally believe that non-attenders are as guilty of grievous sin as the others listed. Scripture, I refer you to Hebrews 10, 23 through 31. If preachers would teach, verse 25 in context, we might begin to see the seriousness of regular assembly. And that is... uh, not to avoid the, the, the uh, forsaken. The, the assembling of ourselves together is a matter of some is. Uh, that's one of the sins of the death. These are not lost people, but plainly saved folk. They've received the knowledge of truth. They've trampled the Son of God. They've been insulted the Spirit of grace. They've been sanctified by the blood of Christ. They're children of God to be judged as his people. The punishment alluded to in verse 28 is corporal and not spiritual. That is sin unto death. Uh, the non-attender, therefore, defies God's commandments and walks disorderly, despises the church of God, becomes a covenant breaker, a God robber, and probably other things that do not appear on the surface. Therefore, he is worthy to be disciplined. Believe me that no church can be built of this type of material. We should be careful how we build. Now let us look at church discipline from the standpoint of the authority of it. Many object and say the church has no right to excise its excluded members. (laughs) When God commanded it, he also authorized it. Uh, Churches must not be vindictive, arbitrary, or unkind in this work, but it still must be done. In Proverbs 16, we are reminded to deal in mercy as well as truth. Verbally stated, authority is found in Matthew 18. The context is absolute with reference to church discipline. John us in his commentary says, whatever Christ's people assembled in their organized congregations or church may decide as ratified in heaven, in essence by God, unless, of course, the decision be in itself wrong. The point is that the church has God's authority to decide. The reference here is especially to the settlement of a difficulty between brethren. But the statement is a general one. The church has authority. Therefore all other churches should honor that decision. And that's what broke up all the fellowship around Fayette County. So as not to oppose God's authority. I don't want to go against somebody, some other church's discipline. So as not to side in with sin. A disciplined person is in sin. I don't want to side in with that. And so as not to obstruct the methods of God. And bring a backslidden Christian to repentance. I don't want to be involved in that. And so as not to destroy good fellowship between true churches. So as not to fill their own churches with leaven and so corrupt them. We ought to be careful how we build, First Corinthians 3. We should not catch the success virus and get numbers happy. And try to build at any cost. Now lest anyone think that I've originated this teaching. Let's look at the historicity. Discipline has been practiced by Baptists of all ages from John to the present. Of course, our primary historical proof and only authoritative source, the command of Scripture, that it is commanded can hardly be successfully denied. The practice of New Testament times reveals that the sound churches continued to practice the practice and that those who would not respect the discipline of other churches were not considered to be walking in the truth. That is, churches that would take our disciplined members Without getting them uh, straightened out, or we take it. We don't take other people's doing. We've never done it. Sound Baptist brethren are proud of their heritage, even though the line of the Novatianist brethren of the third century A.D. That's about 250. These folks were strong believers in church purity. They were the first real Puritans. Around A.D. 250, this first great division among churches arose over the teaching of church discipline. This can be validated by a very casual check in Baptist history. John Gill, the beloved Baptist commentator of 18th century England, says in his Body of Divinity, page 894, that churches who receive disciplined members of other churches are being uncharitable covenant breakers and breakers up of churches. This little book, the Southern Baptist book, and for me to admit that is a, saying a whole lot, but it was written a long time ago. James Leo Garrett, in New Orleans Baptist Seminary, 1962. He admonishes Southern Baptists, on, uh, he says, yet in the practice of an ordered, disciplined, congregation life, Southern Baptists are providing neither leadership nor example. And I guarantee you that's more true today than ever. <clears throat> Beloved, in our dear state, in times past, most all the churches kept a clean membership and it was considered terrible to be a disciplined member of a church, and it indeed still is. May God give us the wisdom and love for his word and his church to begin teaching and practicing church discipline. Let's also resolve to assist our sister churches by not interfering with the practice of their discipline by receiving disciplined members of our other churches into our churches without having them restored to fellowship first in their churches. God will richly bless us for it. I will close with this quote. From 50 Years Among the Baptists by David Benedict, published in 1860, page 400. He says, for our own churches to receive members who have been excommunicated from sister communities while remaining as such has been considered hitherto contrary to Baptist usage, There's my article on church discipline. I think it was fitting with that. Okay. Uh I don't have any I think we've got more of them in the bookstore. I just think we do. Anyway, may the Lord bless you all. And, uh we've got some more of those take them. Give them people people need to know these. I don't care who they are. They need to know these truths. Uh